or three, or four, but five, force five. Welcome to the Force Five podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed five list, and then we talk about our picks on air. I'm your host, Jason Kleberg, and my returning guest today is Jack from the Weekly Rabbit Hole podcast. Jack joined me to talk about our five favorite movie titles, and she's back for my Halloween special. How's it going, Jack? It's going absolutely phenomenal. Thank you very much. I am excited for Halloween. For this Halloween special, we're doing something a little bit different. So uh, Jack did not pick the five list, as is typical with this show. This time, actually, we both picked our five list based on five specific Halloween categories so that you can have some new suggestions for your movie marathon at home because I don't even know if Halloween is happening this year. Is, is Halloween anything by you right now? Uh, Halloween is something. Uh, it is unclear what at this moment, but uh, I do happen to work in a costume shop right now, and uh, <laughs> people are coming in to get costumes, so presumably something is happening around Halloween. Well, I hope that there are a lot of trick-or-treaters, and I'm guessing everybody will be wearing masks anyway, so it works out for, works out for Halloween. Yeah, we can only hope that uh, people take advantage of the conceit of the holiday to uh, stay safe. <laughs> exactly. Well, these will be good uh, leading up to Halloween, or uh, if you're staying inside for Halloween, you can have a little movie marathon with some suggestions we're going to give you. But first... Let's talk about what we have been watching. So I've got a couple of TV shows that I've been watching, and I'm going to launch with the first one here. It's about as far from horror as you can get. It's a kid's show called Bluey. Please take your seat. The show is about to start. <laughs> All right, here we go. It's Australia's favorite furry family going about their day yeah. in their own Special way. Hi, Bob. Smell this. Who wrote this? <laughs> They're playing new games. Hello. They're making new friends. <laughs> Discovering new things to goggle and giggle about. Have you heard of Bluey before? Bluey? I have not heard of this. You're going to have to tell me about this one. Bluey is on Disney Plus, and I was recommended this by another podcaster, Jeff Kanata, from the Slash Filmcast. Uh, he plays it for his kids, so I put it on for mine. It's it's a show about anthropomorphic dogs. They are it's an Australian show, so they're uh, healers. They're blue healers. It's a family of four. You've got the dad, you've got the mom, you've got the little sister named Bingo, and then you have the big sister named Bluey, who the show is named after. And this is one of those shows that kind of transcends the kids' show in that it's so well written that I think anybody will find it funny. At this point, I think I find it way more interesting and funny than my kid does. I find myself laughing way more than he is laughing, but it's a really, really great kids show, and it's all about play. I'm sure you had those experiences when you were a kid where it's, you know what, you just make a game with whatever you have laying around, and that's what this show is. For example, there's an episode where they try to keep a balloon up in the air. The episodes are really short. They're between five and seven minutes. So if you want to, if you have a kid and you want to play one of these episodes before bath time or whatever, it's really easy to do so. And it's really wholesome. It's really funny. Has stuff in there for parents. It's so relatable. The, the things that the dad and the mom say. 
It's just a really great show. There's even one one episode. It's an episode where they go camping that makes my wife and I tear up at the end of it every single time. And it's such a great show. It's called Bluey. It's on Disney+. Plus. If you have kids, or even if you don't, it's just a great show to watch. So I, I highly recommend Bluey on Disney+. Plus. That is, that's a glowing recommendation. And honestly, I'm definitely going to check that out. That sounds really wonderful. Uh, and bite-sized, which is very accessible. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I would drive my parents nuts because I would always uh, play with sticks outside <laughs> in our yard more than the actual toys that they would buy my brother and me. So I can definitely relate to playing with whatever's around. That was some of my uh, favorite times growing up. They have different settings and there's different lessons for the kids too. So there's lessons about like putting your things away or there's lessons about how money circulates. It's really educational for kids, but it's really fun. And there's something in here for everybody, which is great. What's something that you've been uh, taking in recently? Well, I uh, have been watching a few different movies in preparation for this list so that I could pick out uh, some good options. So I think I'll go ahead and talk about one of them in particular because it, it ended up not being one of my recommendations. But I feel like I need to talk about it anyway, because gosh, I have thoughts. Black Sheep is a New Zealand comedy horror film about the woolly undead, zombie sheep. A secret experiment has given birth to a new breed. Bloody animals. Oh, my lord. There's something wrong with the sheep. They attacked us. Oh, nonsense. This movie is... I, I feel like I have to recommend it. Even though it's in execution, it is very uneven. And the writing at times can be very hit or miss in terms of the comedy. But my God, this is such a good example of a movie that is able to just coast so hard on its premise. Because I swear, every time a horde of zombie sheep appears on the horizon, it's the funniest fucking thing <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Every single time. I cackled so loud that my uh, partner had to come out and tell me to quiet down. They were on a Zoom call. <laughs> like, ah, I, I loved it. As uneven as it is, I really, really enjoyed myself. And I had some amazing laughs just from sight gags alone. I've never heard of this movie. Is it available on streaming or did you have to pick up a physical copy of it? Uh, it is available on streaming, uh, like not for free streaming, but you can rent it for pretty cheap from the usual suspects. Any uh, actors or actresses that I would recognize? God, I don't think so. Um, I'll be real honest. I didn't uh, scroll through their uh, pages very deeply. Got it. But uh, the director was uh, featured in uh, Lindsay Ellis's video series about the New Zealand film industry, which bait and switches you for uh, an, oh, wow, a fun discussion of uh, The Hobbit. That turns into, oh, wow, discussion about workers' rights in the film industry in New Zealand, huh. which is fantastic. Uh, highly recommend. But uh, the director of Black Sheep shows up in that to discuss the events that occur. Very cool. That's Black Sheep. I'll talk about one more TV show that I've been watching. Are you a, a reality TV show fan? 
I am a fan of sitting with my partner as they fall asleep and uh, watching trash reality shows <laughs> <laughs> as just filler noise in the background. <laughs> I'm really not a huge reality TV fan, but there's one weak spot that I have for some reason, and it's reality cooking shows. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've been blazing through Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Ramsay. Hell's Kitchen is some of the most fun TV for me, and I, I have no idea why. I know a lot of it is set up. The, the basic premise is that you have these chefs. I think they start with they start with something like 16 chefs. There's eight men and there's eight women. And their goal at the end, if they survive until the end, is that they get a spot in one of these top restaurants. They become either the head chef or they just are guaranteed a position at one of these restaurants. And they have various challenges. And if you win the challenge, you get something great as a team. And if you lose the challenge, then you have a punishment. And then the loser at the end of the show, the losing team, has to kick one person out. It's a really interesting show, but of course the main dish on the show is Gordon Ramsay. I love Gordon Ramsay. I can't get enough of him. He's one of those kind of tough love teachers who will scream at you in your face, and he will tell you when you're doing something amazing as well. It's so good. If you haven't seen Hell's Kitchen, I don't, I don't know anybody who hasn't seen Hell's Kitchen by now, but I'm on like season nine, and I think there's 17 seasons. So I've been ripping through that lately. Always recommended. And you can find the uncut stuff on Amazon. So all the swearing and all the insanity is still intact there, which I find is kind of refreshing because I don't think I would like it as much if they censored Gordon Ramsay. I'll be real honest because Gordon Ramsay shows are, uh, so to speak, the bread and butter of our uh, late night falling asleep TV shows. But we mostly watch Kitchen Nightmares and MasterChef. But I've got to say, I've seen the Kitchen Nightmares episodes uncensored on YouTube and then uh, just like with the original uh, beeps and bleeps. And I've, I actually think it is refreshing and it is nice to go and uh, see them without any of the censoring. But it's really funny to just have <laughs> like three straight seconds of just like high tones <laughs> because Gordon <laughs> Ramsay is going on a verbal rampage. I have to admit that that is a certain kind of gold to me that I wouldn't give up for anything. I will have to seek out like one of the original runs of one of these episodes and just see if it holds up with the bleeps over the swear words. Man, I mean, like when he's going on a when, when he's going on a tear in the kitchens, like in particular, I, I think it does add a certain level of comedy but also sometimes you miss some really uh some real golden nuggets of phrases from gordon ramsay he has a sharp wit are you watching the kitchen nightmares version from the united states or from the uk yeah the u.s i find that in the if you watch the uk ones he has some even more batshit crazy expressions that you just don't hear here which are <laughs> really fun anything else you've been watching before we get into our lists I mean, I watched through Avatar The Last Airbender for like the fourth time, right, when it was on Netflix. And then I started uh, watching The Legend of Korra as well. From the creators of The Last Airbender comes the story of a new generation. What makes you so sure your daughter is the one? was a 2,000-year-old historical treasure. Whoops. 
It's time for your generation to take on the responsibility of keeping peace and balance in the world. Your best friend is a polar bear dog. I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about it. Right now I'm only like five episodes in, but I've got to say like for what it is, it's definitely not the same transcendent experience as watching Avatar, right? But for what it is, Legend of Korra is fun. I'm having fun so far and I guess we'll see what happens with it. My best friend highly, highly recommends that show and Avatar as well. I've never gotten into them. I haven't seen any episodes, but I've just heard glowing reviews on both shows, which makes me excited at some point to check that out. I'm kind of waiting till my kid gets a little bit older and maybe we can digest it together. Avatar, to a lesser degree than uh, Steven Universe, but uh, one thing I noticed that they kind of share in common is that they start out like, oh yeah, like kid show, fun, right? And then they like slowly grow into just being amazing just pieces of media. They're amazing for kids, but they're just amazing in general. And then when you look back at them in their entirety, that's where it really shines. And that's why uh, they get this incredible rewatch value. It's because the series taken as a whole is something remarkably special. Uh, and seeing the arcs that characters go through leaves a lasting impact. That's awesome. These are uh, both animated shows, and they're both available on Netflix right now currently, correct? Uh, yeah, Avatar and Legend of Korra are both uh, currently, at least at the time of recording, uh, available on Netflix. Cool. I think uh, Steven Universe, I uh, don't believe is. I, I believe that uh, some episodes of Steven Universe are on Hulu. Well, that's what we've been watching. Let's get into our Halloween special. So this one's going to be a little bit different. So we each came up with movies for five specific Halloween categories. And those categories are a zombie movie, a slasher movie, a supernatural or ghost movie, a monster or creature feature, and then finally body horror. So this is going to be a fun one. Do you have any any of your own Halloween traditions? Are there any movies that you watch that, you know, you, you just watch every year for Halloween or any other traditions for the holiday? Yeah, absolutely. I always like to have a costume. This year makes it a little weird. I, I can definitely wear it at work, but uh, there's fewer places to sort of show it off. But I, I like to have a costume. I like to watch a few specific movies. Uh, one of them is on the list, so I don't want to say it right now. But, <laughs> yep, uh, good idea. Uh, it's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. It's definitely on there, among a few others. I like movies that have this Halloween-y vibe to them, you know, even more than just sort of being like, stupendous horror movies or whatever like wh when they get the the vibe and the decor and the spirit of the holiday they're really good things to watch around the season to get you in the mood what would you say are your favorite halloween costumes that you've worn in the past one is also related to a pick on the list <laughs> so i'll talk <laughs> about that when we get there yep there was the one year that my partner and i dressed up in matching costumes they went as the joker and i went as harley quinn Nice. And, and it was fantastic. We went to uh, the kink club that we go to and uh, we, you know, got our pictures taken there. We did a scene related to uh, <laughs> being Harley Quinn and Joker. And it was tons and tons of fun. Since we have a power exchange dynamic, we were able to uh, play into the really fucked up abusive shit <laughs> going on <laughs> with those characters in a really fun way. So that was a great time. That's awesome. I think my favorite Halloween costumes over the last couple of years, I dressed up as John McEnroe one year, which was kind of a odd, but a blast. He's a tennis player. Gotcha. I was, I was about to look. <laughs> I was like literally in the middle typing into Google. <laughs> 
he's a tennis player from the 70s and 80s, so he had a huge afro and really short shorts and really white shoes. That was really fun. <laughs> nice, nice. And then last year, I dressed up as Jason from Friday the 13th, but I was also able to dress my kid up as Chucky from Child's Play, which was really fun. Hey, there we go. That's pretty good. Yep. I like that. And then the year before that, we dressed up as the cast from Hocus Pocus, my wife, my son, and I, which was really fun as well. Ah, oh, a classic. That's one of my partner's traditions around Halloween is to watch Hocus Pocus. Oh, man, what's the other movie that uh, is super much less for kids? It's called, like, The Witches, right? Oh, yes, The Witches from 1990, I think. Yeah, for, for some reason, whenever I think of one, I think of the other. They're, like, very tied in my brain. <laughs> totally they're very different <laughs> oh yeah the witches is terrifying it's horrifying it's real scary like sometimes a movie just really gets under your skin and the witches does that for me yeah that one and the monster squad are really similar yeah yeah no you're you're totally right um man monster squad has some uh, i mean monster squad is really fun and really funny but yeah it has it has some moments all right let's get to the list uh which category would you like to tackle first I'll leave it up to you. Oh, boy, that's a lot of pressure. Um, <laughs> how about we start with, oh, well, ah, let's start with body horror. Let's do it. I really wanted to uh, finagle myself into a position where I could uh, make a case for one of my favorite movies around the Halloween season, which is Halloween 3, which is just the Halloweeniest of the Halloween movies. But uh, as much as I wanted to, and as much as there is an amazing scene of a kid getting his head melted into insects in front oh. of the TV screen, <laughs> I am going to stick to the actual rules of the list and say from beyond. Every journey begins in the mind. <laughs> a flight of imagination. A vision of what might lie across the universe. Or within the deepest regions of the subconscious. Dr. Edward Pretorius is about to embark on such a journey. It's out of control. You've got to turn it off. Something's coming. From beyond is based on Lovecraft and is such a wild ride. It's such a wild ride. It has Ken Forey. It has Jeffrey Combs. It's directed by Stuart Gordon. It is produced by Charles Band. You have so much ridiculous horror people involved in this project. And then the movie itself starts off the rails, which normally you get a movie that like goes off the rails, but from beyond really decides to just start off the rails so that it can go places where you never expected anything to go. There is disintegrating bodies. There are heads getting uh, twisted off by uh, horrifying, incomprehensible monsters from beyond. There's Jeffrey Combs running around with a stalk out of his forehead, sucking people's brains out through their eye sockets. There's a whole fucking thing about this guy who gets killed in the first few minutes and then comes back as this uh, ultimate pleasure-obsessed monster who's been corrupted by uh, the forces from beyond. There's this whole thing about his, like, kinky sex dungeon, which is basically just his bedroom. <laughs> and it's just... And, like, all the characters kind of, like, 
get into it, even though they don't really want to, but they're kind of getting into it. Really fucked up, amazing uh, Lovecraft movie that's way more fun than existentially terrifying. But, you know, honestly, that's what you need sometimes. <laughs> it's yep. it's real gross and uh, real squirmy, but it's it's great. It's lots and lots of fun. If you like Reanimator, you'll like From Beyond. Oh, you know, that's what I hear. I hear it pairs really well with that as like a double feature. Yeah, they, they came out like a year apart from the same director based on the same author. They pair about as well as they seem as they seem like they should. And of course, they both star Jeffrey Combs, which is I mean, if you have Jeffrey Combs in a movie, it's going to be fantastic is basically my uh, general rule of thumb. Or at least Jeffrey Combs will be fantastic. He has that Vincent Price quality where he just elevates anything he's in. This is one that's for some reason slipped me, so I need to find it and watch it. It's available on like in low quality uh, bootlegged on YouTube, I think, but it's worth watching in better quality because the effects deserve it. Uh, Got the it. lighting and the effects deserve it. My body horror, uh, I went to the master of body horror, in my mind, David Cronenberg. He started things with The Brood, and then there's some really, really great body horror in Scanners and Videodrome, but I went with his, what I think is his magnum opus, and this is probably really obvious to some people, but 1986's The Fly. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. The Fly is such a cool story. It's Jeff Goldblum as a scientist named Seth, and he is designing these teleportation pods. There's some horror elements that come with the teleportation pods and him testing it out on animals, but it starts to get real crazy when he thinks that he has it all squared away and he gets into one of these chambers, but he does not realize that a fly was trapped in there as well. And so when he teleports into the other pod, now he is the mixture of a DNA of a human and a fly. And of course, there's horror and there's tragedy as he starts throughout the second half of the movie turning into a human fly. When we talk body horror, it's all on one guy, but it's craziness. You know, his it starts with things like his fingernails falling off, and it ends with his skin falling off, the, the last piece of his skin falling off as he turns into a full fly. The transformation is horrific, and whenever, whenever I think body horror... The fly is the first one that comes to mind. There were others that I, I felt like there's a mixture of body horror in a lot of the movies that I like to watch, but The Fly is body horror. So that was my pick. 1986 is The Fly. David Cronenberg also stars Gina Davis in a really good role. It's a really small story. It's, it's really just Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis for 90% of the movie. Yeah, which works really well because their chemistry is fantastic. Yeah, it's so good. I was tempted to put Scanners on here because I think Scanners has some really, really cool body horror scenes, including the head exploding that is has been used in GIFs forever. It's so good. It's so good. Cronenberg was the master in the 80s of body horror. God, he's so good. I mean, Shivers is also fantastic, which is a movie that 
never ceases to make me really uncomfortable every time I watch it. But my God, the fly. I mean, the tragedy is what really makes the movie what it is. They sell the tragedy of not just the demise of uh, Brundle, but also like the demise of what could have been a really wonderful relationship between like him and uh, Gina Davis. It's, it's, it's a really good story, which is... It's not, it's not always the thing you need in a horror movie, right? You don't just need a good story to have a good movie. But it was really important here, and it really works. Yeah, it's, it's tough to balance that horror and tragedy, but this movie does it fantastically. One thing I like a lot about The Fly's body horror in particular is the fact that it's just believable enough if you, like, suspend your disbelief for the conceit, right? It's like, okay, if we say, like, okay, his uh, DNA has been merged in the teleporter, it's like, okay, over time, as his cells are replicating with the new DNA, like, he's undergoing changes, and they're slow and gradual, and then eventually, like, his skin just sloughs off because you don't have the connective tissue anymore. There's something else underneath. All, all the cells that are being replaced are being replaced by something new, forming their way into the structure they're being defined for, which I think is an interesting way to approach it. It's something that makes just enough sense to uh, let you buy into the story really well. Cool, so that's body horror. Where are we going next? Let's go into slashers. Oh, this is my favorite pick on my slasher one. All right, what's your slasher? <laughs> All right, so this is the story behind uh, one of my other favorite Halloween costumes that I ever wore. So last year, there's a group called Terror in the Isles uh, in Chicago. And uh, every year, they've put on like a horror movie marathon, a 24-hour horror movie marathon. Ooh, cool. And... Uh, it's wonderful, and they have some really cool choices in their lineups every year. And they also invite a lot of uh, guests. Last year, they showed Alice Sweet Alice, which is my pick here. Alice was too old to play with dolls and too young to make love. Brooke Shields, as you've never seen her before. She was too beautiful to play with boys and too young to play with men. So Alice began to play with death. She's made repeated requests that the kids see a psychiatrist. She has a knack of making things look like accidents. That year, uh, I knew that the director, Alfred Soule, was going to be there. And so I dressed up as the killer from Alice Sweet Alice. It was the most magical thing because he came and he was just like delighted that I had gone to the trouble to like replicate the costume. And I actually got to uh, walk up with him and just like stand next to him while he presented the movie. Like oh, it's did, so like, cool. For the film. Yeah. Oh, it was so great. And uh, we took pictures together and it, it made me really happy that I could make him really happy coming to that event. So that has so many good memories tied to it. But also it helps that the movie itself is phenomenal. And it's real, real scary. Alice Sweet Alice came out like in 1976. And so it's kind of a proto slasher. It, you can see a lot of influence from like Italian giallo films, but it's definitely still like you can see an American slasher film in it. And it is real cool. It's got a neat mystery of who it is, but then they don't drag you along for the entire movie with it. I'm not going to give too much away with it because I do think it's worth going into not knowing exactly what to expect with it but they know when to give up the ghost and then like transform it into something else that's also effective which i respect a lot the design of the killer's costume and everything is very memorable uh it's very creepy i was very happy to dress up in it 
I was going to ask you, so the costume for the killer, this is the one where it's kind of like a doll. It looks like a doll head, right? It looks kind of like a doll face. Basically, if you get a mask that's like a smiling human mask, basically, or something, it's like semi-transparent. That's what it is. Did you have to make your own? No, I just ordered it. I, I had to like search around for a bit to find like what it was. But once I found it, it was pretty easy to order. I had a yellow raincoat already. Yep. I got some uh, white heels to uh, match the film, you know, I, uh, I you know, put on one of my uh, white dresses and, uh, you know, got some white gloves. It was, uh, it was a great time. I also, I carried all my stuff that day in a uh, brown paper bag, because that's like <laughs> a thing from the movie too. So really adorably, uh, Alfred Soul, like when I came up and he, uh, he like signed my copy of Oh Sweet Alice and Wishmaster 2, he was like, here, uh, I'll sign the bag too. Uh, you know, because I was like, that's basically a prop to the costume. And I was like, oh, that's such a good idea. It's a very memorable killer, which I mean, when we're talking about slasher films, I feel like a memorable killer is half the game. Yeah, I agree. Memorable kills is also a big part of the game, too. Interestingly enough, uh, the person doesn't get killed in this scene, but uh, there's a really, really cool scene uh, in the stairwell of the like apartment building that a lot of the movie takes place in, where a woman's being stabbed through like the bars of the stairs. Mm. Oh my god, the, the shots are so good, and the editing is uh, so jarring and sudden. I do like the title, Alice, Sweet Alice. It, uh, it rings in your head a lot. It's really good. It's very uh, sinister. Yeah, it's a great title. It had a bunch of different titles. It was released in different places under different titles, which happens to movies in this era, of course. Including my next one. <laughs> Ooh, exciting. That's a great segue. You have to be in the right mindset to watch this movie to get the most out of it. It's a movie from 1982 called Pieces. Wow, that's a good pick. Oh, nice pick. Nice pick. This movie is insane. The original Spanish title is The Night Has 1000 Screams, which I think is <laughs> a really great title. Pieces, I think, makes more sense for the American market. But yeah, that's a great separate title. It's originally a Spanish language film, so it's dubbed and it's hilariously dubbed. All the acting is atrocious and the story makes <laughs> zero sense. So I'll just I'll kind of set it up as... The the very first scene, you have this kid who's maybe 10 or 11, and he's sitting in his room putting together a jigsaw puzzle, and his mother walks in, and she sees that the jigsaw puzzle is of a naked woman. So he, <laughs> he tries to cover it up, but the mom sees it, and she scolds him for having pornographic material in this house, and she tells him, go get a trash bag, I'm going to throw away all this pornographic material. So he goes to the kitchen and he comes back, but instead of having a trash bag, he has an axe, which he chops her, <laughs> chops her up with. Yeah! Yay! <laughs> now, for no, no reason at all, the story then jumps about 50 years into the future. The flashback was from 1942, I think, in New England, and then it just pops into the 80s at a college and... These murders start happening, and it's by that same kid. He's still putting together the jigsaw puzzle, which makes zero sense that he, number one, wouldn't just keep the jigsaw puzzle together. And number two, it's like a hundred-piece puzzle. It's not that hard, buddy. It's <laughs> The movie is cut together in a way that absolutely is bonkers. It's so funny. And none of it makes sense. For example, there's a scene in the beginning where it's introducing the college, and there's a girl riding on a skateboard. And there's two men moving a window pane, like a big glass window pane, and she smacks into the window pane, breaking it. And that's the last time we ever hear of that 
or that actress in the whole movie <laughs> for no reason at all. There's so many of those moments, too. It's just classic setup. You just had to include it. How could you not? Shouldn't yeah. every movie have that scene? <laughs> now, his the killer's weapon of choice is a chainsaw, but it's also a knife. On the poster, it says you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre, but he uses a knife a lot as well. He's got a look that's not real memorable, but he's dressed as kind of like the 1940s shadow character. He's got like the oh, yeah. Yeah, wide brimmed hat and every his face is covered yeah. and he's got a big black trench coat and a little bit of Prowler-esque, I guess. Yeah, yeah. This is, it's really violent. It's got a lot of nudity in there. But if you can get together with some friends, socially distance, but get together with some friends, have some drinks, watch this movie in the right mindset, it's going to be one of the most fun times you'll ever have on Halloween. Dude, a really dumb, really violent, full of nudity slasher film. If you like them, you have so many options. <laughs> It's nice for people to learn about this one because it is a really good option for that specific brand of uh, fun trash. <laughs> there are a lot of quotes in here, too, that if you watch with a group, you're going to be saying these quotes over and over and over again. There's a very famous one where the the lead actress, I for, her name's escaping me, but the character's name is Mary. I do remember that. Uh, Mary walks out of one of the crime scenes and she just starts yelling into the sky, Bastard! Bastard! You see it? Yes! While we were out here fumbling with that music, the lousy bastard was in there killing her! Bastard! 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 He cut that poor girl in half while she was still alive. It's, it's so memorable. It's so good. This is Pieces from 1982. Nice. Awesome. Uh, let's go to uh, Ghost and Supernatural. I briefly considered sneaking in Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost because, boy, does that movie have some nice Halloween feels in it. It's full of pumpkins and, like, New England fall-time food, and it's got some really good witch action going on. It's just excellent for the time of the year but uh i'm gonna pick pick like an actual uh <laughs> at least semi-horror movie although it's primarily a comedy peter jackson film called the frighteners there has been a destructive force unleashed on this town such as i have never seen oh my god i don't believe this is not happening we have got a poltergeist! Okay, well, folks, I can do a clearance, but uh, it's not gonna be cheap. Although I do offer a six-month guarantee. That fellow takes us totally for granted. The Frighteners is a film that the first time I saw it, I was astonished that this wasn't like just a classic considered by everyone. And uh, re-watching it, I still firmly stand by that. I think The Frighteners is so funny and it's got so much of the like high energy ridiculous shit that uh early peter jackson movies have like bad taste another movie with jeffrey combs he manages to make my list twice accidentally <laughs> he has one of my favorite quotes which is my body is a road map of pain that's a great line <laughs> it's so good and he plays such a deranged character Wonderful, wonderful performance. 
this movie is not only super funny, the premise alone, it's about a uh, psychic detective who's a con man, but he's not a con man because uh, he's not really psychic. He can actually see ghosts, but he enlists the ghost to cause trouble so that he can come in and solve it for a fee. That's a great premise. It's such a good premise. It's an amazing setup, and it just instantly establishes his character really, really well. And Michael J. Fox also like goes around the whole movie in this really oversized like trench coat, which <laughs> is just the funniest like parody of like the sort of like noir like psychic detective sort of trope. He's just like stumbling around in this really oversized trench coat. It's a really funny image. And then, like, the, the big bad uh, ghost of the film, who is uh, going around killing people. And to everyone on the outside, it just seems like people are having these inexplicable heart attacks, right? But uh, the ghost is reaching inside and squeezing people's hearts. It's intense. But it's a really cool. It's uh, The ghost is, like, dr- dressed up as the Grim Reaper. And it's, like, even though it's not really the Grim Reaper, it's one of the best representations of the Grim Reaper. Uh, I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, besides, what's the movie? Uh, Cemetery Man, I think is what it's called, which has the best Grim Reaper ever. It's it's a movie that has some really fun twists in it. It's got tons and tons of energy that just never lets up. It's a fantastic time, and especially around the season. This is one I haven't seen in about 10 years, but one of the things that I remember being really impressed with when I saw it last time was how well the effects held up. Yeah, right? They understand how to use CGI, and it's really fun. It's like, it's not something that's like photorealistic, but it's something that works for what they're going for perfectly. There's all these really cool shots of the ghost like going uh, around and like reaching through walls and like pulling up like the rug to grab people. You get all these CGI images of like this humanoid form like reaching through walls and paintings and rugs and uh, floors and it's, that's, that's fantastic. It's not photorealistic, but it's just perfect for what they're going for. And the ghosts look cool, too. Uh, they're very, uh, <laughs> they're very, the like, 90s uh, glow ghosts that are uh, <laughs> you know, superimposed on top of footage. It really, it works. They knew how to incorporate it. So for my supernatural ghost movie, I was going to go with the uh, 2001 movie 13 Ghosts. Ha <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> I really love that movie, and it was actually on my list up until about two hours before we record this. But I went with one that I've just seen recently that really, really impressed me. It's from 2015. It's a movie called The Black Coat's Daughter. When you meet these people, do you say that she was murdered? say that they had to do a blood test to see if her head matched the body. Hey, Dad, just calling to see where you and Mom are, if you're coming. Worst case, they come on Friday and everyone goes home and has a really nice break. After all, we can't let you live here. You know about the sisters, don't you? They worship the devil. that this came out right i think i remember hearing some buzz about it but i never ended up uh seeing it before i forgot about it you're gonna have to refresh me on this one so the black coat's daughter takes place at an all-female boarding school it's a catholic boarding school and there's a winter break coming up and one of the things for the winter break is that all of the girls parents come to pick them up and nobody's at the school during this winter break 
Well, there's two girls that are left behind because their parents don't pick them up. And the reasons why their parents don't pick them up, you'll have to watch the, the film to find out. So you've got these two girls. It's, it's a really limited cast, and it's almost all female. It's in upstate New York, and it's snowing. It's very atmospheric. It, it seems like a really cold movie. And then you have a, a couple of nuns that are also there to kind of look after them. But the headmaster, you know, he has things to do, and he wasn't expecting any, anybody to be here. So he basically says, you know, you can't live here. Get a hold of the parents and nuns. You can figure this out. From there, from there, it focuses on these two girls and then another girl named Jane in a separate story that connects at some point. But it's very, very atmospheric and it's very, very creepy. And you find out about maybe 30 minutes in that there's this mysterious evil force somewhere in this boarding school and things start happening. And in about 45 minutes, things go off the rails. It's got some really crazy scenes. It's got really great atmosphere. So if you're watching this with headphones on or you're watching this with a really great sound system, it's going to scare you. It's directed by Oz Perkins, who I did not realize is the son of Anthony Perkins from Psycho. Okay, that's pretty interesting. Nice. Yeah, hold on. I'm looking at him right now. Oh yeah, he uh, <laughs> first acting role in Psycho 2. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> 12 year old version of his father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, this guy directed I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. That was one of my contenders for uh, Best Ghost Movie. Yes. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't, like, wouldn't that have been the, ama- the most amazing coincidence <laughs> if we had separately picked two movies from this guy? It's an, nearly an all-female cast, but they're all great, especially the actress who plays Kat. I, her name's Kiernan Shipka. She emotes so much with just simple barely recognizable facial expressions her performance was so good i loved it everybody in here is great though and if you're looking for that atmospheric demonic movie this halloween this one's gonna hit the spot nice all right well i'm definitely checking that one out what do we have left we have zombies and we have monster slash creature features so where are we going i think this is a good time to uh, head into the zombie territory so like i mentioned uh, i was considering black sheep I was also, uh, I, I almost last minute changed my choice because I was thinking about, I was like, wait, oh my God, Paranorman is such a good Halloween movie. Mm, uh, and that's yep. totally, that totally has zombies, right? But I, I stuck, I stuck with my gut. The director actually despises when people uh, refer to this movie as a zombie movie. So I'm kind of doing exactly what the director doesn't want me to do by including <laughs> it on this list. Shame on you. Pontypool is my choice for the movie you should watch this Halloween season for zombie films. What you are hearing is an actual radio broadcast. It is the only recording of the event. Roadblocks preventing people from leaving and entering the area. Everybody is under quarantine. Blood! We still do not have an official version of these events, and it's very difficult at this moment to get a fix on what has happened. Oh, God! These people are trying to eat their way inside. It's a very non-traditional take on zombies, or, you know, as the director calls them, conversationalists. But it's about how, like, words and phrases get stuck in your head, and in this film, basically the English language gets infected. And so speaking, uh, certain words can become triggers to 
uh, infect you and turn you into someone who just like can't get the same thing out of their head and keeps repeating things and repeating things uh, over and over. If you've ever had a song that's just like stuck on loop in your head, you get, you'll get like a certain like uncomfortable ringing home from this film or if you've ever tried to remember a word but couldn't quite get it, it's like on the tip of your tongue and you just keep repeating like what you're trying to say over and over. Honestly, I think of all the movies that I'm talking about today, this one scares me the most. I've seen it uh, twice now, and both times it scared the willies out of me. It is really something special, and I don't want to talk too much about it, but I will say that it is not only uh, a movie that takes place inside of a radio station, but they also made it into a radio play. A radio drama. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you can watch the entire, uh, or you know, rather, you can listen to the entire radio drama uh, on YouTube. But I would definitely recommend uh, checking out the movie first. The main actor, uh, Stephen McCaddy, the entire time I was watching it more recently, I was sitting there, I'm like, oh my god, his voice, right? I was like, his voice is like something, and it was like stuck in my head, like the words of the, the other people who just keep repeating them over and over in the movie. But, um, I finally looked it up afterwards and I was like, what was he in? What was he in? And I parsed through his filmography and I finally found it. He was the shade in the justice league animated series, which very specifically was what one of my, uh, one of my favorite couple of episodes, which was uh injustice for all parts one and two. He was in those. And so I've watched those tons of times. And so <laughs> it's like, Oh my God, his like smooth, deep bassy voice speaking into the microphone in this radio station is totally the shade. Also notable, the director, Bruce McDonald, has made uh, some really uh, interesting indie films, part of like the, I think it's like called like the Toronto New Wave or something, but some very notable indie films that I haven't seen. Uh, <laughs> Roadkill is one, and then uh, Hardcore Logo is uh, like a mockumentary about like self-destruct, like a self-destructive punk punk band so if you're uh, if you like music mockumentaries that's probably one to check out pontypool is one that i have never seen and i had not ever heard of it until you just mentioned it so i'm excited there's not a whole lot of movies i can think of that like give you more to chew on like after the movie finishes there's a lot to sort of compare to things in the movie like just from relatable things in real life yeah highly recommended very interesting it's very creepy and it's very stunningly unique i can't wait to check it out for my zombie one i wanted to go a little bit i wanted to get a little bit of fun into my list and there were two that were battling for this as kind of horror comedies and i went with the less obvious route so i think that the more obvious route would be if you're thinking horror comedy zombie movie is Shaun of the dead of course sure sure of course, which is of course. One of my favorite horror comedies ever. But I went with one from 1986 that is kind of a precursor to Shaun of the Dead, a movie called Night of the Creeps. The night of the fall is finally here for Chris, Cindy, and JC. It's going to be the best night of their lives. But tonight is also the night of the creeps. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. First, they are under you, around you, on you, and then inside you. I'm so glad to see that on a Halloween list. 
So it's great, and we've got a we've got a Fred Decker connection because we talked about Monster Squad just for a second earlier, and this was the movie he directed right before he directed Monster Squad. Hey, cool, cool. All right. If you're a big fan of those old zombie movies, obviously Shaun of the Dead is great, but this one also brings those influences in and did it 20 years before. Every character in here is named after a horror director. The main character's name is Chris Romero. His friend is named JC for John Carpenter. You have Detective Landis, Sergeant Raimi. Everybody in here is named for a horror director or somebody, you know, with ties to horror movies. You mentioned JC. Uh, his last name is Hooper, which is a reference to Toby Hooper. I'm looking at the cast list. There's Officer Bava, Officer Craven. <laughs> Everybody in here, it's all references. In the movie, all these scenes and deaths, they're all kind of references to other zombie movies or other people from that horror genre. So it starts in 1959. It's black and white. And we start in this spaceship with these aliens. And we have no idea why one alien is running from two other aliens with guns. And they look really weird and fantastic. And the alien that's on the run, he has this capsule and he sends it out into space. And then we go to the Earth and it's black and white, of course. And the capsule flies through space like a meteor, lands on the ground near these high schoolers. And they pick up the this, this canister and open it up. And there's like this slug slash parasite that jumps out. It jumps right into the guy's mouth. And then we fast forward to... 1986 and there's a hazing prank going on these guys want to get into this fraternity because they really want to meet this girl and they figured the only way to meet this girl is to get in this fraternity and they say well we're not going to make you do something typical of in terms of a hazing ritual we want you to go and steal a body out of the school science lab this is starting to sound more like you chicago's scavenger hunt than a hazing ritual (laughs) (laughs) well needless to say when they go on this ritual things go wrong They don't steal the body, but they do take the body out of its casing, and it turns out to be that body from 1959 that has the parasite still in it. So the parasite jumps out, starts wreaking havoc, and everybody that the parasite jumps into turns into a mindless, brainless zombie. And of course, there's one character, Chris Romero, and the girl who he's interested in named Cynthia, and they have to try and get away from all these zombies and figure out a way to stop them. There's some really great body horror in this with the zombies getting their heads exploded. They are lit on fire. They are hit with shotguns. One even has, well, I won't give it away, but let's say it's something that you'd find in a tool shed. It's really fun. (laughs) It, It does have some laughs. It's got great practical effects, which I appreciate for the 80s. And like I said before, if you're a fan of zombie movies, this has so many nods, so many winks that you just, you won't, be able to help but laugh and smile your your whole way through it's great you know going back to that intro too in us not in the same uh, style necessarily but um it is like killer clowns from outer space a very very funny parody of uh, 50s monster movies like the blob i think it's a really good example of how to do uh, a parody well it's uh it's still it's it's definitely still its genre but uh it understands its genre It's one that's definitely worth seeking out. That's Night of the Creeps from 1986. All right, the grand finale. It's time to get into our creature feature slash monster movie. I was thinking about uh, one film, a 50s monster movie. I really like it. I think that um, it's really nice to have 50s monster movies on the docket for uh, Halloween time. 
So I was considering talking about the Trollenberg Terror, which I think is uh, one of the better ones. Very low budget, but like excellent, excellent buildup in the film. But I needed to talk about this at some point. And it is an anthology film, so it's not just this, but this feels like the best place to slot it. And I want to talk about Trick or Treat. During the spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. from Michael Dougherty, who also directed uh, Krampus, which Krampus is a is basically like the Christmas-iest, I think that's the word I'm looking for, the Christmas-iest uh, horror movie I think I've ever seen. And Trick or Treat is probably the Halloween-iest <laughs> horror movie that I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen any horror movie that more perfectly embodies the holiday. It is filled with memorable characters and fantastic performances from really cool actors like uh, like Brian Cox, Anna Paquin. Uh, Dylan Baker is fantastic. There are many stories in this film, and they all link together in the end. It's told out of order. But by the end of the film, you get a sense of the timeline of the night. There's this lovely uh, moment at the end where everything kind of uh, subtly links together as uh, characters' paths cross without them realizing it. If we talk about horror comedies or, you know, Typically, they're comedy first, uh, and they live in the horror genre, right? They might have scares, but, like, the point is to make you laugh, right? And I think this is an interesting one where the point is to scare you, right? But it, it has the laughs in it, and it's tongue-in-cheek, but it still wants you to feel uncomfortable, and it still wants you to uh, jump and be in suspense. I think this could be uh, the best anthology movie that I've ever seen in my life. Ooh, bold. I know, I know, and there's some really, really good ones, and I'm also very fond of anthology films, but I think I would say that Trick or Treat is the best anthology film I've ever seen in my life, uh, and certainly one of the best Halloween films that's ever been made. This has a really memorable cover, too, if you've seen that. It's like a really short yeah. person with a big old pumpkin, like jack-o'-lantern head. I, I don't want to give too much away about Sam, who yeah. is kind of the mascot of the film, but... Uh, that I've wanted to make that costume that he wears, that sort of uh, baggy onesie with the weird mask. I've wanted to make that for years and just never sort of had the uh, craftiness or time to do it. Really good icon for the film, who, uh, you know, seems like something that's just kind of going to be there and kind of always be present as sort of like representing kind of the spirit of Halloween, but then actually like features prominently by the end. And it's glorious when it happens. It's fantastic when it happens. I love everything about that segment. It's just so, so good. If you only have one movie to watch this Halloween, this almost covers all five of our categories. Yeah, accurate. It's stunning. I mean, I, what can I say? I, uh, I can't think of a better movie sort of overall to recommend for the holiday, which is why I saved it for last. <laughs> it's a great pick. That's Trick or Treat from 2007, and it's... Everything you want from Halloween wrapped into one little package. It 
really is. My uh, monster slash creature feature has absolutely nothing to do with Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. But it is really, really fun, and I cannot stop thinking about this movie ever since I saw it in the theaters in 2011. It's a movie called Attack the Block. What is that, cause? That's an alien, bro. Believe it. When I landed in the wrong place, though, you get me the wrong place. <laughs> well, lads, you discovered a species hitherto unknown to science. He kicked his head in. <laughs> Yo, check it. More. More what? Them things. Lovely fireworks. Mommy, it's an invasion. Of course it is. I'm killing them. I'm killing them straight. Let's get tall up, blood. They're quite sweet, really, aren't they? Yeah! Attack the Block! Hell yeah, let's talk about Attack the Block. Attack the Block is so good. I always, I always talk about Attack the Block as it's like if Steven Spielberg made an Amblin Entertainment movie that was rated R. <laughs> because it's got that bad, that's not a bad description yeah yeah it's got that same uh like the camaraderie between kids that a lot of those spielberg movies had it's got that it's got everybody's with their really distinct really fun personalities and you really root for these characters and in this case even though you shouldn't be rooting for them because the very first scene of the movie we kind of see how despicable these characters are and unlikable that they are, and you end up rooting for them and their redemption. The creatures are great. Just to kind of set the stage, it takes place in a, in a, a London block, is what they call them. It's kind of like a ghetto. And a creature falls from space, and they pick up this, this creature's corpse, and, and it's an alien. But once they pick up that corpse, all kinds of aliens start hitting the ground. And these creatures are, they, they almost look like gorillas, but they're all black and they're really furry and you can't really see much of them except they're glowing blue teeth, which are really, really terrifying. And, and you can't tell where they are because it takes place at night. So all you see are the light up teeth and it's so great. That's such, that's such a good design, such a good monster design. Yeah, and this, that's another reason why I left Shaun of the Dead off the list is because this almost feels like it has a very similar tone as Shaun of the Dead. And, and it's almost like... When I think of Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy, this kind of falls right in there. It's even got Nick Frost from uh, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead in here, which is another one of those fun connections. Yeah, it's super true. Uh, it kind of uh, reminds me of like a blend a bit of uh, Shaun of the Dead and World's End. Yeah, it's really violent. It's really fun. The characters do things that are smart and that you would probably do if you were 13 to 16 years old and trying to survive an alien invasion. They're, they're appropriately resourceful. Uh, <laughs> I, I love seeing them uh, getting out of situations. It, it's, yeah, it's a treat. Yeah, and I, I forget the exact line, but when somebody says, why would aliens come here to, the, to this block? One of the, the other characters answers, they're looking for a fight. And they, <laughs> you know, and they decide instead of being those horror characters that are going to run away, they decide that we're going to take it to them. And they get on their bikes with their bats and whatever they can find. And the story elevates from there. But it's such a great movie. And I don't think it's talked about enough when it comes to, you know, great monster movies and great creature features. This one definitely holds up. I agree. And I was disappointed, too, because uh, when John Boyega was cast in uh, the new Star Wars movies, I was expecting everyone to start talking about Attack the Block. 
and that didn't happen. And I'm just like, guys, like Moses is amazing. <laughs> like this is a fantastic showpiece for a big character in these movies that everyone but me cares about. <laughs> and I was like, please, can we talk about the movie I do care about? But never happened. But we get to do it now. Right there with you. Yeah. And you're not going to really know most, most of these other characters aside from John Boyega. I think that he cast these characters from local areas in London and he wanted it to have a really authentic feel and it definitely does. I think this is also uh, an interesting case of a movie that I feel like you're going to watch a little bit differently depending what your experience with like race and wealth and like traditionally segregated neighborhoods is. Uh, Like if you've lived in like I mean like living in Chicago like in you know very traditionally segregated neighborhoods where like race and wealth inequality is like a serious thing that you need to talk about when you talk about like neighborhoods it's a different experience watching it it's interesting you said uh you know like the characters are kind of like despicable when you meet them and like that actually wasn't my experience when i watched it that might have been the wrong word i was sure sure. might have said like unlikable or yeah yeah but like man like i definitely have like met and known people like a lot like them and it's like yeah, they feel really real to me. I, I appreciate the movie a lot. And there's this scene that I, I've never been able to stop thinking about when um, Moses starts talking about, like, uh, like he thinks that this is, like, some conspiracy, you know, like, uh, and he starts talking about, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, the, the government's been pushing, uh, you know, drugs into our neighborhoods and manufacturing diseases and stuff. And it's, right, it's, like, this this is all actual fears and, like, partly rumor, partly, like, real life, especially when you talk about, like, you know, pushing drugs into the neighborhoods and stuff, right? Like, this is, like, real stuff that people talk about in real life, right? And it was, it it felt so honest. Uh, It wasn't a thing I was familiar with at the time, but it's a thing I became familiar with afterwards. And it feels so honest to be in this movie. That's a good scene that you bring up. That's a scene that I always think about as well. And it's it's almost a scene of him trying to justify the things that he does and kind of come to terms with who he is and why he is the way he is. It's so good. It's such a great scene. I think it also really helps sort of like cement like his sort of position in like in the film as like a hero, right? Like there's, it's amazing. I love the way they end the film because it is like, the ultimate way to frame Moses is just like this fantastic hero of the film. It represents a lot of what's going on in the film that reflects real life. It's, oh, I, I, I love I love Moses. I love the way they treat him. I, I could ramble a lot more, but <laughs> I think that's a good place to leave it there. Go see it. It's a Joe Cornish movie. And uh, yeah, he's he's a really special director. He doesn't make a lot of movies, but he's a really great director. Well, now you have 10 movies that you can binge either going up to Halloween or on Halloween. Let us know what you thought of our selections. Jack, it's time for you to plug your stuff. You have a lot of stuff going on in October. Tell us about what's going on with the Weekly Rabbit Hole podcast. (laughs) Yes. So the Weekly Rabbit Hole went on a hiatus for a while. At the time of recording, I'm about ready to uh, get it up and going again. There'll be some episodes in September, but notably for October, I'm going to be doing a little mini episode every day of the month. So that'll be 31 little mini rabbit holes, each one related to a different horror movie. Basic idea is we'll take a horror movie and we'll see something that's related to it that's interesting. And we'll explore that for a while. Uh, The first episode will be on Kingdom of the Spiders, 
and the related topic will be urticating hairs, which is a phrase that no one will know, uh, but it's basically the little bristles that make you super itchy that tarantulas can kick off of their abdomens into your eyes. So that's, that's going to be a lovely topic, and we're just going to go from there. Can't wait. If you haven't heard the <laughs> weekly rabbit hole, go check it out. And by the time you're hearing this, you're going to have 20 to 30 episodes to catch up on. So, yeah, go find that. Heck yeah. <laughs> Where can they find the Weekly Rabbit Hole podcast? Uh, you can find the Weekly Rabbit Hole at weeklyrabbithole.podbean.com. Very cool. And also on YouTube as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thank you for plugging my, <laughs> plugging my <laughs> show. I forgot it. <laughs> yes, you can also find it on YouTube as well at Weekly Rabbit Hole, the channel. Yeah, and if people want to uh, email me uh, about anything, uh, you can contact me at weeklyrabbithole at gmail.com. Awesome. If you have a five list that you want to tackle on this show, you can email me directly at force5podcast at gmail.com or just go to the website force5podcast.com, which has a show request form and a bunch of other Force 5 related content. I've got a blog up there now where I'm doing uh, film reviews as well that don't make it to the show. So go check that out. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and watch some movies. What I need is a woman who can think and fight and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> Force 5.